Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast, you guys. All right, we are going to get a little uncomfortable, but I really encourage you, stick around, okay? Dom and I actually even dive into our own relationship and open up about some stuff with Dr. Christie. She truly is an expert in what she's doing. So I want you to stick around, share this out. Dr. Christy Overstreet is a clinical sexologist, certified sex therapist, and psychotherapist. And she's the author of Fix Yourself First, 25 Tips for Stop to stop ruining your relationship. And she is a host of Fix Yourself First podcast. Her mission is to help people improve their relationships by first focusing on the important relationship they have, the one with themselves, so that they are empowered to create the lives they deserve. Dr. Christie believes that you are the best expert of your own life, which is just exactly what we talk about on the Optimal Body podcast, right? Find your optimal body. Her role is is to provide unconditional support, motivate you to be your best, and meet you where you are within your journey. As your BFF sex therapist, she believes that you have the answers and she is there to help you find your voice to take action. Dr. Christie is the founder of the therapy department, which is a private practice that provides counseling and business consulting throughout the world. Her years of clinical experience have made her well-respected as a world, real-world relationship and LGBTQIA plus healthcare expert. She created the Transgender Healthcare Dignity Model Certification Program, a a specialized course that teaches healthcare providers how to care for transgender clients with dignity. She has created an array of online courses for all healthcare employees to improve their competency in working with the LGBTQIA plus community. So we're going to link up all her stuff. Go look at her Instagram as well, just to start to get to know her and tune in to this podcast. We're so excited for you to be here. Dr. Christy, thank you so much for being here and being a part of this podcast. I think what's really just so awesome and something that we were saying earlier is being able to have your perspective of health available here. And and it's something we haven't touched on yet in the podcast, and it is so incredibly huge. So first of all, just a huge thank you for being here. Thanks for having me and covering this really important topic that affects all of us. Mm-hmm. So somewhere we like to kind of start with everyone, and especially you having this unique perspective as somebody in the relationship and sexual and int- intimate health realm, um, what drives you to do what you do? Everyone kind of has that underlying why, and you just present it through this amazing field of um, health like you do. But what drives you to do what you do? Well, what I find is when we have a good understanding of ourselves as a whole person, we're going to have better relationships. I went through my own personal journey of unhealthy relationships and toxic relationships and looking for love in all their own places and realized that the, the biggest problem that I had was I was focusing and blaming other people for my issues versus looking at my own. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I said, wait a minute, you know, there's different parts of ourselves when we focus on this and say, what do I need to do to change me for the better? I get a change in every relationship that I'm in and around. And so with working with clients, it's the same thing of saying like, 
what do you want to work on? What do you want to see better? Because you have 100% control over that, not over who you're in a relationship with. So that drives me to say, if we can educate people on how they can fix themselves first and focus on self-change, they're automatically going to see changes in their relationships. That's truly everything. That's something that Dom and I even connected on when mm-hmm. we first met as well, because we were doing, mm-hmm. we, we realized, you know, you've got to do that self-work and t- take accountability and ownership for yourself in order to create the relationship you want to step into. And even today, this morning, I, I was watching a friend's video of he just proposed and the words that he was saying, but it it still sounded like blame to the other women that didn't mm. work for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it still kind of just made me cr- like, I, of course, I'm so happy he's he's found his woman and he's he's excited. But yet there's still that the other people didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Right. It was still that. And I so I'm so excited to just be able to dive in and have this conversation with you. Yeah, I think it's natural. It's our natural tendency to put the blame even unconsciously on the other people when it's like 100% up to us because what happens to us in these relationships is what we allow to happen to us. And it's those other people, I'll say from my own experience, I don't know about your friend, but it was the partners that I've had before that sometimes it was their stuff, but a lot of times it was my own stuff. So they actually taught me more about myself and a really hard lesson that I wish I didn't have to learn that way, but it helped me be a better person now for myself, which helped me find the healthiest relationship ever that I'm currently in. Mm -hmm. I think just having some of that openness to understanding that, yeah, we can put ourselves in certain situations and we can allow something to happen to ourselves once, but if we continue to call that in and it becomes a pattern, uh, then there probably is something deeper that we need to address. And I like that Jen brought up that, we were both kind of in the pits and the bowels of our, our personal development when we met each other. No interest at all in meeting another person at that stage in our lives. You know, that's kind of how every story starts, I feel. But just we connected on so many different levels of what we were doing for ourselves. Um, and that's where we, you know, ended up finding all these other layers of intimacy and depth in the relationship. But something that I now value is you need to do that growth within the relationship as well. And that's just tough for people to approach. And so if there are people out there that are like wanting to look for that, where do you recommend a relationship start? Like if they're not used to having the conversations, if they're not used to diving in, how do you open that up with your partner? It can be tricky because some topics are harder to talk about than others, especially around if there's work needs to be done around intimacy or with our physical selves. So the way to start it is to come from a very non-judgmental place and, and put the defensiveness down, knowing, hey, this is going to be tough. It's going to be the first time we talk about this. So I'm going to have to really watch my non-verbals, right? Make sure I'm not like rolling my eyes or clenching my jaws or just coming in from a very understanding, loving, non-judgmental place and say, hey, I want to talk about a couple of things that's coming up for me and put the focus on yourself so that lowers their defensiveness. Even if it's something that they're doing, there's probably something on your end you can bring up that you want to maybe take some accountability and talk about. That gives a very equal space where they're not going to feel as attacked. So just starting that conversation out is a great place to start. And you mentioned intimacy and that can look many different ways. I know even on your Instagram, I saw there are 12 types of intimacy. So can we start there as well? Like what does intimacy mean? Well, when I talk about intimacy, well, first of all, I don't know about y'all. Did y'all, were y'all taught that there were all these types of intimacy growing up? No, growing up, definitely not. (laughs) 
I guess, yeah, not 12 types of intimacy, but um, yeah. It's a lot. We're not taught about this. And when I think about intimacy, I think about connection. Just start with that basic connection. So the most obvious one is physical intimacy. And yeah, sex is one type of physical intimacy, but hugging closeness, touching hands, putting arms around one another, sitting next to one another in the car and, and touching one another, that also is physical intimacy. So it's physical connection. So then we look at the other 11 that I'll run through real quickly. Recreational intimacy, that's when we share activities and hobbies and fun things together. I mean, y'all are a great example of that, of your activities y'all do that helps you feel more connected. Whether it's your travel or your hobbies, y'all really form your connection and bond around recreational intimacy. And it's one that we don't think about very often that's really powerful. Um, and then this, uh, the third is intellectual intimacy, where the stimulating conversations or activities that y'all do together makes you feel connected. And we've got work intimacy, where there's closeness and sharing common tasks. Maybe the podcast for y'all is work intimacy as well. You feel connected. Yeah. Then you've got commitment intimacy, that closeness in commitment. Aesthetic intimacy, sharing beautiful things. Communication intimacy, mutual understanding emotional intimacy, creative intimacy, crisis intimacy, conflict intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. I ran through those last couple, but as you can hear, there's 12 different types of intimacies that give us a chance to connect in 12 different types of ways that are all very equal. But I think sex gets the most focus because it's the one that people present with the most problems and difficulty talking around, but all these other ones are just as important. Why do you think that people have such this stigma and 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 it's just really tough to talk about sex i think the biggest reason is because it can make us feel real vulnerable because sex is our body it's it's who we are it's our sexuality it's how we connect with someone in a maybe a private way and there's so much that gets hung up with that with our emotionals and our physical selves that along with how a lot of times our culture and society portrays sex or what we you know parentheses, should be doing with sex or not be doing in this pressure around sex. And just that vulnerability of having to really drop your guard and talk about something that is very vulnerable, can bring up a lot of fear, makes it hard to talk about. I absolutely agree with that. And I love how you approach intimacy in that way of opening it up, not just being one thing and not just being about one thing, but being this super uh, layered uh, concept of what the whole intimacy means. And I think that how we describe self and how we describe ourself can be done in the same way. Like even on your uh, Zoom, uh, you have your pronouns, he and she, or she or her. And I love that because um, I wrote for a blog once on diversity in health, basically, and transgendered medicine, I don't think is something that gets nearly enough attention. And there's such a large percentage of people that identify differently in some aspect of self that I don't think our healthcare quite captures that. So can you talk a little bit why it's so important to talk about transgendered medicine and just how we define self as well? Sure, you're spot on with that. And just the fact that you work on that blog around that topic shows so much um, inclusivity in your advocacy around it because it's, it's really important. 
uh, when we talk about ourselves, well, I'll start and go backwards. We look at ourselves as a whole person or kind of my concept is there's six parts to who we are as a whole person. There's our emotional self. There's our relational self, our physical self, our sexual self, our recreational self, and our career self. So in this area with, with transgender, cisgender, non-binary identities, a part of that is our relational self, how we relate to other people and how that connection is. And in the healthcare field, I think there's so many providers that want to do the right thing. They want to service and give dignity, affirming care to individuals because, you know, they're there to serve. However, because they may feel incompetent or they may be fearful they're going to use the wrong words or mess up the pronouns or not know what to say or do if they get asked a question, that it's really easy to back away and avoid because they don't want to cause a problem where if they felt, I've got the education, I know the pronouns I'm using, my pronouns as a cisgender female to say, hey, we can talk about anything, um, just like we're having this conversation now due to those pronouns. As providers, we can open up that space and show this affirming care and um, help people really get their health needs met by just opening it up and showing the safe space for a conversation. Oh, yeah, that is that is so huge. And even I mean, we've talked about this in the past, too, the forms that people fill out when they go see a healthcare professional already they don't feel included or, or seen. It'll, you know, it'll say seen like, yeah, what's your gender? Male, female. And to not even have another option is very slighting to a lot of people in our culture. And I just think that we don't even acknowledge that or are not even aware of that. And I think that's where the conversation starts. Well, and I like that you brought that up. You can be as identified as a cisgender female, and I'm also going to walk into a doctor's office that I have here in Orange County and seeing the male, female, and I'll say, hmm, do you mind if I give some feedback? I'll say this to mm. the receptionist and she'll say, yeah, sure. What's going on? It's like, I'm noticing on your forms, here's your two options. What do you do when someone doesn't fall into this male, female that you've got on here? And they may say, oh, I don't know. And I'll say, well, do you mind if I make a couple of suggestions? Can I have a mock form and just let me give you a couple of suggestions on what you could do to be more con- inclusive? And some of them are open to it and some of them are not. But that is something as a cisgender ally and advocate I can do just on the daily that will help hopefully make a difference for someone else. And what do you what what are the recommendations that you do recommend when you say okay here are the 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 things that I suggest you guys can change? Sure. Well, start with the name, right? You've got the name you want to have on there. If you're taking insurance, like a lot of providers do, you may want to have a legal name as well and a legal name option so that if there's a billing under a different name because there's a lot of individuals who are not mm-hmm. able to to change their name or don't want to or whatever the case is. The other one will be gender identity. And I recommend people leaving that blank versus having to put check boxes. That way you just stay very open because there's no way we can put all the identities down there. And then, as you pointed out, pronouns are really important. And um, in most cases, there's not really a need for relationship status. But if you have that, leave that blank and open. Those are just a couple areas to kind of get started in on those forms. I think that's an amazing place for if anyone's in administration or anybody is in policy or anything. These are amazing things that we can just start to write in again to just be a little more inclusive. And even if it's something that you might not understand or might not have seen or heard of before, it's very valuable for us and needed for us to start doing this in more places. Um, I kind of want to ask a question more about what prompted you, I mean, to go down this path as a psychotherapist? What prompted you to go down the route of becoming a clinical sexologist and sex therapist? Sure. Well, I started out as a therapist. And what I started noticing was that there were so many people that I was working with that 
when it came to relationship things, they had difficulty talking about sex. They didn't know how to navigate the conversations. And with my own history and background, I grew up in southeastern Georgia, very small conservative town. And we didn't talk about sex at all. Like you did not talk about that because that said so much about you, right? Which is some of that narrative we carry into adulthood. And what I realized is like, gosh, I really need to make sure I get some training and work on how to help these individuals navigate their own sexual relationships and, and their dynamics that's happening. And so through that, I knew, hey, I've really got to take a look at this and make sure I'm bringing my best to my clients because at the time I'm not. As a therapist, and I say just a general therapist, we're only required to take in our master's program one human sexuality class. I'm not for sure about y'all's in, in your world, but one human sexuality class is it. But we're, you know, working with clients that have all these different diverse needs. And so that's when I knew if I'm going to make a difference and help people create better relationships with themselves or others, I need some more education around that. And so that evolved. And um, coming where I come from in a very small town, as you can imagine, there's, it's definitely uh, really interesting when someone hears what I do because of there's so much stigma that even comes with having the title of a sex therapist. So for me, it was just that need to make sure I best serve those individuals. I grew up in a small town in Minnesota uh, with similar, you know, ideals. And my dad, I was very lucky, I feel, because he was the OBGYN family practice doc and came in and gave us our sex talk <laughs> in our high school and did the contraceptives and did all the... And I think that what he was doing even back when I was in high school was very ahead of where a lot of places are, like you said, that just have these stigmas and aren't open to the conversations. And I mean, I just think that's one of the most important things is to start injecting more education at younger ages so people are just aware. Yeah, there's so much shame around even being able to talk about sex. And how can we start to approach this? Well, the, the first step will be to accept that we're all sexual beings. It doesn't mean like that we all have to like or enjoy sex 100% of the time or that it means anything about us. It's just we're a sexual being. With having the six different parts of our identity as a whole person, our sexual self is one of them, whether you're having sex or not. So the first step is acceptance. Like you're not going to get away from being a sexual being. So when we accept that, then we might give a little bit of space to say, all right, well, so I'm this sexual being here and I got this shame about it or what it says about me or maybe an experience I had with a partner in the past or growing up or trauma or whatever happened. Now that I've accepted this as who I am, what do I need to do to get a little closer to it? So the place to start would be to say, okay, what is it that's coming up for me when I think about sex? Is it embarrassment? Is it guilt? Is it unworthiness? Is it I'm not liking my physical body? Is it because I can't move in certain directions with my body? Whatever that is, saying what around this is getting in the way and blocking me to really enjoy my sexual self? The other part of it is to look and say, what actually might be a turn-on for me? Now, if you can go ahead and say this is my turn-ons, that's great. But we have to sometimes baby step it into when you come from this space of shame and say, what might turn me on a little bit? And then what, I definitely know what turns me off. So getting more familiar with those turn-ons and those turn-offs equally helps dispel some of that shame as you kind of grow in your sexual self-esteem and confidence. So I think that's so important, like you said, just to know how to communicate that with your partner and know, you know, when there might be barriers with yourself. And I think you mentioned earlier, just to be able to bring up and say, this might be tough, and I just need to have a little conversation. And again, I think that somewhere I felt super blessed 
being with Jen, just that we had this more open communication about everything, and that included intimacy. And I think that helps people, you know, leaps and bounds in just the relationship in general when you can fill in even how to communicate about that. Um, just for relationships in general, how do we know when we feel stuck if it's something that we can work on with our partner or we might just be burying our head and not realizing something else that it just isn't our person? Well, it's got to start by looking like what's coming up for you to lead you to feel stuck, not just the feeling of being stuck, but what's your thoughts and beliefs about being stuck? What are you telling yourself about this stuckness? And when you kind of figure out that narrative that's going on maybe in your mind, sometimes I refer to that as the, that chatter up there, like what, is, what am I telling myself about the situation or the, or the person? that's going on and then saying, is the apply to me or is it apply to them? And if you're not sure, go to your person and say, hey, I got to get this off my chest. Can you just kind of hold space? Let me just talk this out. It might come out sideways, but I got, I got to just put it out there and talk it out with them and see what their feedback is. And depending on how they handle it and their feedback, that might help you figure out a little bit more, hey, is this their stuff or mine? But if, if they're going, hey, you know what, I'm open to working on this with you too, then it can be, all right, what does this look like for us? What am I willing to do and what are you willing to do? And I encourage people to always start with yourself and here's what I'm willing to do. Because when you step up and say, I'm willing to take this action, I'm willing to, whether it's, you know, whatever thing that you're willing to go do, you're saying, I'm taking an active role in this, I'm taking responsibility. And that's the best chance you're going to see your partner taking some action and responsibility as well. Yeah. I think what's hard too, especially, I mean, this is at least where I came from. It was always hearing, you know, relationships take sacrifice and relationships take work and it's not going to be easy. And so I would end up staying and doing, okay, this is what I need to do more of. This is what I need to do more of. And the more that I felt the need to do more inherently, I was telling myself I wasn't enough as I am. And I was trying to force something that really shouldn't have, <laughs> you know, been working out and it turned into a toxic relationship. But that was what I was choosing based on what I thought had to be. And so how do we know when we're, we're needing to do more and sacrifice more or we're, we're letting go of ourselves? That's great that you you saw that for yourself. I know it took some time, but you walked through that and saw, and you were doing what we're conditioned to do is you, it's supposed to be hard. You're supposed to sacrifice. And, and I, I don't agree with that in the sense of if we're having to work, like you had to work so hard and you realize this is a toxic relationship. If we're having to work hard in our relationship than we're having to do in our job or something that's supposed to be a little bit more difficult at times, something's off. So what we have to do is say, Am I doing everything I need to be doing on my end? So I encourage people, like, if you're starting to feel that burned outness around that because you're working and giving, and, and especially if you're sacrificing, that's a big red flag, is to say, I'm going to check my checklist. And when I'm done checking my checklist, I'm making a final decision on this relationship. And your checklist may look totally different than my checklist looks, but it's like this. Am I doing what I need? Did I change what I need to do on mine that was unhealthy for me, that was affecting the relationship? Did I verbalize what was bothering me in the relationship? Did I give this person ample opportunity to make changes? Did I see any action? I don't care about words. Words are nice and fluffy, but they're not action. If I'm not seeing action, if I've done everything I can do on my end that could positively impact this relationship and it's still not moving or it's still feeling toxic or it's not going the direction I want to, 
then I've got to say, am I ready for a change? And if so, I've got to end that and leave that relationship. So every person has this personal list that they have to check off to say, I did all I could do. That's all I could do. And I'm done. And that's hard because that's the brain part of it. But then the heart comes in, right? And the love like, well, maybe next time they'll do different or maybe I'll give them another chance. That's my favorite when people come and try to recycle partners. I'm like, we're not into recycling. Like there's a reason it ended. There's a reason people are behind us, whether it was us or them. We have to kind of move forward once we've checked off that list for ourselves. That is one of the hardest things I think for people to take on. And I myself needed just a huge wake up call, you know, to, to finally release and move forward and, and choose me. But it, it is I would still say that's one of the hardest things. And when I, you know, really opened up about my journey, that's when I had so much feedback of people who have felt so similar and and stuck in the same patterns in the same ways or, you know, feeling not seen, feeling not treated well. And it's just, you know, I, I think there's still so much work that people can do. And I'm glad that you are continuing to open this conversation and allow <laughs> people to continue to learn. I think there's so much still, you know, there's just, it's always going to be continued work to be done. So one of the things you're talking about with that, with that continued work with both of you, both of you have taken, you've openly talked about and shared your, your past and the experience you've gone through. Have y'all found that sharing and open up about your past has helped build your connection between one another and trust within the relationship? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, I was committed to, one, I have a social media presence, right? And I was already talking about it. So anyone who was going to come into my life, I needed to say like, hey, you're going to see some things about my story that are out in the public. So um, so for me, particularly, I, I really needed to talk about it. But I was it's, it's so amazing to be able to step into a relationship that the other person could just be there and hear it and listen. Like there was no, he wasn't trying to fix me. He wasn't trying to fix the situation. He allowed me the space to heal. And I, as a man, I, that is so powerful. Yeah. And I, I would reflect that and say the same. And even thinking back to your 12 types of intimacy. I mean, you brought up <laughs> work intimacy, recreational intimacy, all these different things that, you know, we were talking as our relationship has quickly progressed and we started living together and doing the podcast together and working together more on her business as well. And realizing we live in the same place, but we have all of these different types of relationships that we, we get to continue nurturing. And within all of those relationships, the core thing that has been the most beneficial is being open to the conversation and knowing that there will be some uncomfortable ones. And that's going to happen. And it's about how you work through that. And it's about how you strengthen the way you communicate and know each other um, when those come up. Well, what I really like that you just shared in that and where it connects with the two of you is when she's talking about how you just gave her that space to heal without being pushy or trying to fix her or telling her how she needed to do it instead and trying to problem solve for her because she wasn't asked for help and you just gave her that space. What you did is you built this space of increasing trust. So imagine the arrow and trust going way up. Okay. So the trust arrow goes way up. And do you know what follows in tandem with that trust arrow? It's intimacy. 
that are in tandem. So as you allowed that trust to build up in your relationship high, that intimacy in your relationship with her built up high too. And we talk about all 12 of those types of intimacy. Because what happens is as you get better trust, you get better intimacy. Hmm. Because if something happens and the trust drops just a little bit, that intimacy, aka that connection drops. So our trust in our relationships goes up and down on the scale of one to 10 throughout any given day. And y'all have worked so well together in your, um, all, your creative intimacy and your communication intimacy, your physical intimacy, your emotional intimacy, your work intimacy, recreational intimacy. Y'all have worked that way up there. So in tandem with that is this really high trust in the relationship. And that's a beautiful thing that y'all have been able to manifest because of the work y'all put into it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's continuous and it's mm-hmm. always always going to be. And I think that's what we're both committed to. Um, but I, I do want to drive back to a little bit more into sex in that conversation, because I know that some people still mo- will feel uncomfortable about it. And I want to just dive in. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think one of the, the drivers of what people first get introduced to it is usually around porn. And, and it becomes this perception of what intimacy is supposed to look like. And how do people really start to identify, is that what I want or is that what I've been conditioned to see? That's a great question because what it does is it, it builds up for that being that introduction this expectation, not a conscious expectation, but it starts building this template of this is how it's supposed to be, right? This is how sex is supposed to look. This is what I'm supposed to be doing during sex, how I'm supposed to be positioned during sex. And this is how my body's supposed to look. And all those things can cause a lot of problems for self-esteem, for body image. It causes a, a lot of issues around sexual dysfunction because those expectations, it puts a lot of pressure as well. For an example, in some, um, let's just say in a heterosexual couple, you may have a guy that's like, wait a minute, when I'm watching porn, the girl has an orgasm every time. So what's wrong with you, my partner? Mm. Why aren't you having an orgasm? Like, I, I want to give this to you as if it's like this gift with a bow on top. <laughs> we know it's not. But there's this, I don't understand why this isn't working. And then you can have the partner, the girl to say, you know, like, I don't know what is wrong with me because I'm supposed to do this. You're making me feel good, but I'm not reaching orgasm. So something must be wrong with me. And that can cause from a lot of damage and get this couple stuck in a cycle. So, I mean, diving in further, and you've kind of talked about how to have these conversations with your partner from specifically from the scope of sex. I mean, if you're having these intimate experiences that are connecting, but there seems to be some lack of synergy in certain areas, you know, where do you feel like you can bring that up in a safe space with your partner and have that conversation? I definitely use the sandwich approach, meaning start with that compliment. I really enjoy when we're intimate. And I mean, I enjoy when we're laying there and cuddling, it feels really good. And I really like it when we start getting a little bit more intimate and start leading to sex. But what I'm noticing is I'm starting to shut off when you start touching me this way. I don't know what it is about it, but something about me, I'm wondering if we can do something different. And maybe next time we do it, I'll show you a little bit about what we can do different. Now, that takes a lot of confidence to be able to say it that way. But if you position that in there that what you really want to see different, then say, I really just enjoy spending time with you. So thank you. You can bring it into 
here's what I'm really liking. Here's what I'd like to see different, better, or I want to talk about that might be a little bit of an issue and then finish it off with a compliment. And it's all going to be very authentic and genuine, but bringing it up in a way that's non-threatening and that's not finger pointing, that's not judgmental and not coming off an aggressive way is definitely the place to start. And I think so many people avoid talking about issues that come up in sex because they're fearful that they'll hurt their partner's feelings. And so what I tell them is, I'm so glad you care so much about your partner that you don't want to hurt their feelings. That's lovely. And I'm very glad about that. However, if you're not enjoying sex, your partner's seeing it in some way, probably. Mm. They're either seeing your face, they feel your tense of your muscles, they're seeing that your pelvic floor, you may not be able to kind of relax. Your body is holding the tension, the trauma, the stress, whatever's going on. So it's better to just go ahead and put it out there and give the opportunity to work on that versus you trying to protect them, which is actually probably hurting them anyway in some way or the other. Or if not, it'll come up at some point in the future. Oh, yeah. And I like that you also mentioned the pelvic floor isn't relaxing. I'm curious, do you work in tandem at all with pelvic floor therapists or, or recommend uh, your your clients to go see pelvic floor therapists? Yes, yes, yes. And yes, like a big round of applause because Woo! I love pelvic floor <laughs> therapists. Oh my gosh, they're a godsend. I couldn't do the work that I do without them. They're just incredible, incredible. I do recommend anyone that's struggling in any of these areas to go. I mean, you know, we go for uh, the doctor and therapist and wellness for so many areas. Why not just go and have an assessment and check things out? It's definitely yes. powerful. And it's helped so many individuals that I've worked with because so much has to do with our bodies, tightness, our ability to relax, our ability to be mindful, and really learning that mind pelvic floor connection for both um, women and men in the sense of different groin pain they may be experiencing, um, different issues with hip flexors, mobility issues. It's so important to do the pelvic, um, the PT work in general with this area. I mean, I love that's where it went because that was going to be my next layer question. Like when we do have issues, that's something very difficult to talk about for men and for women, whether it's because of pregnancy. I mean, I've had some pelvic floor and just core and abdominal issues myself, you know, from athletics and stuff like that. And just being able to open that conversation up because then we realize the resources that are out there. Do you know of any way that you can look up like a pelvic floor therapist in your area or pelvicguru.com? Yeah. Do you have any other resources that are out there that can help people find those resources and those providers? Because I know it's kind of tough to get connected. It, it is. And actually, many insurance companies also are separating out pelvic floor therapists to help people find them specifically. Um, but most um, sex therapists can help connect you with someone. There's a couple of different associations out there. I love following folks on Instagram, too, to see the work that they're doing for the education. Um, and it, there's just so many out there to be able to find that can really do great work. It, you know, your urologist will have great referrals as well as your OBGYN will have great referrals. Yes. I think it's something that whether you've had a baby or you want to, whatever, I think every human should just go see a pelvic floor therapist because like you said, it's something that we don't, you know, we haven't been conditioned to talk about or open up about and just having someone to be able to check you so that you can start to get to know yourself and become aware of that area can then open up, start to open up that conversation even more, maybe seeking out a sex therapist or even, you know, speaking more within your partnership. I think it's so important 
that, you know, we, we touch all of these other areas and we go to physical therapists to, to see all of our areas except that one. And we're, we don't talk about that a lot. So I love, love, love that you used to, I was like doing a little celebration dance over here. <laughs> it, it, it's so important because there, there, again, it's a stigma. If something's wrong down there and the, and the, in that area, then something's wrong with us. It's almost like we unconsciously, subconsciously tie our worth with our ability to perform sexually or what's going on in our pelvic floor area. It's funny how it does that, right? Like, Dom, you're talking about, you know, it's hard to talk about those things for guys. Like, they think, if I have to ask for help here, what does that say about me as a man or what I can do or more importantly, not do? Yeah, I mean, I, like, started talking more about it myself when I had other athletes that I played with teammates and stuff reaching out to me asking things because they knew I was in the healthcare realm and just started to ask me questions I'm like wow this is like a hidden issue that so many people just don't talk about probably until they're in their 50s 60s and then they just like are way you know way compensated at that point and um, it's just sad to me so I think you need to open it up a little more and we need to make these resources known and more available especially to people in the Midwest which is where I'm from I feel like there's just such a gap um, from the coast to the Midwest and what I've learned so far in my career um, and again that's why Jen and I appreciate so much having you on and opening up the conversation more we know that you you know have written a book the author of fix yourself first um, and you're the founder of therapy department transgender healthcare dignity model certification program which i think is amazing to help you know grow the allyship where can people find out more about you and what you do and all the other amazing things you have going on well two main places instagram you can just connect with me on instagram dm me let me know what's happening in your world and i'll send you to some free resources to help with that or you can just visit the website drcruisejeverystreet.com where all those resources and free trainings are as well that is so perfect. And of course, we're going to link all of that up in the show notes so you guys can can get quick access to her. <laughs> Dr. Christy, you've been absolutely incredible. And depending on what people you know have questions about, I'd love to dive in further. <laughs> and another time, I think the work that you do is so valuable. It's another portion of health that needs to be accounted for. And the fact that you're brave enough to step out and, and continue to learn and continue to help people is just so incredible. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show, y'all. And thanks for both of you sharing your journey and helping us all improve these relationships with our bodies every day. I appreciate it. And there we have it, yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.